0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him.
0: Thank you, Jenny. Do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. And uh, if, if you like the sort of thing, you'll probably find a spare corner of one of those bits of paper you've given on the way in to take some notes. Uh, but as we come to God's word in the Bible, shall we pray? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have been kind enough to speak, and thank you, thank you that we see you uh, most clearly in the Lord Jesus. We pray for your help to see and know and understand him better and to follow him more wholeheartedly in his name, amen Have you ever watched an unboxing? Unboxing uh, is a video craze on YouTube and you will find thousands upon thousands of videos uh, of people uh, opening new products they aren't demonstration videos. They don't contain information about the products. In fact, they don't tend to contain much talking at all. It's just a person sitting there in their bedroom, opening a thing, you know, cardboard and plastic and polystyrene. Now, against my better judgment, I have been caught by Morag on occasion at watching an unboxing video to her distress, confusion, and disapproval. It is a slightly bizarre craze I guess it's born out of the fact that uh, we just love things that are new. That moment of unwrapping newness uh, gives a feeling of uh, excitement and satisfaction. I don't know what gives you the buzz. Uh, Maybe it's the smart stiffness of a new pair of jeans. Uh, Maybe it's the perfect uncreased form um, of a new book um, or the perfect shine of a new phone. I reckon that the Mount Everest of newness moments has to be the smell of a new car. I don't know how they do it. I don't know what they're putting in there. Pretty sure it's probably not very good for your health. Uh, But whatever the chemicals are, it just smells amazing. There's nothing better than that smell. That newness experience is intoxicating. Uh, But it's also really fleeting. So your jeans get saggy and the book gets creased and the phone gets scratched. And the inside of our car now looks and smells like it suffered from the recent effects of a food fight between toddlers, mostly because it has. (laughs) What if there was something new of lasting appeal, where that sense of excitement and satisfaction remained instead of just fading? Well, here in Mark, Jesus says he is bringing just that something new, like new wine something fresh, something needed and with lasting effect. And perhaps it's no surprise then that Jesus' ministry in this passage today has started to go international. It's the first heading if you're taking notes. The nations to Jesus. The nations to Jesus. You remember that last week, if you were here, Mark was keen to present us with a choice. What kind of a leader do we want? Do we want Jesus or a Pharisee? And right away this week, when it comes to that question, (laughs) there's no question who the crowds are choosing. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. In other words, he's turned his back, literally, on the synagogue and the religious leaders. He's walked away from them, down to the lake. Verse 8, when the crowds heard all that he was doing, many people came to him. They're voting with their feet, and they're flocking to Jesus. It might remind you, if you know the gospel well, uh, of John the Baptist, Right at the start, do you remember that? We were told that the whole Judean countryside came and flocked to John. See, unlike the Pharisees, these kind of regular people have a, a sense that they need help and they're looking for a leader. They have this sense, I guess, that things are not as they should be in the world. And we too have that deep sense, don't we? The world isn't as it should be. We're looking for help. We're looking for a leader. There is so much despair and disaster and frankly downright evil out there. Uh, most days I, I load up the BBC news page uh, to, to sort of see what's happening in the world. There have been some days recently where I have, I have just had to close it again. Uh, I just or I have to skip to sport or technology or something. I just can't bear to read the headlines again. Do you feel that way? It just sometimes feels like such a mess of unrestrained evil. And yet I know, when I'm honest about my own heart, that the wickedness is not just out there, it's in here as well. We know we're not the people we should be, and so we long for a better world and we long for a better us. And these people here in Jesus see some glimmer of the help that they need. I don't know, I I guess they see him healing and wonder, could this kingdom that he speaks about be a place when sickness is finally put to bed? Or they hear his preaching and wonder somehow, is a change of heart possible for me? Or they see him drive out demons and perhaps they wonder if he might just be the one who will deal with this mess of unrestrained evil that there seems to be out there. And so though I dare say they don't fully understand who Jesus is or fully understand how he's going to accomplish all this or what it will cost him on the cross, they see they have a need and so they come flocking to Jesus, just like they did with John the Baptist. The thing to notice here, though, is that Jesus' reach and appeal is so much bigger than John's. Verse 8, people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumia, and perhaps most strikingly, the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. This list includes places, as it were, beyond the borders Tyre and Sidon in the north and to the east across the Jordan. That's, that's Gentile country. Jesus has gone international. It's as if it's a little picture of, of the nations beginning to stream to Jesus. Word has got round. There's a new teacher with a new message of a a new kingdom. There's a new way to be part of it. You can repent and believe. Even for the worst of you, there is hope. It is the beginnings of the nations flocking to Jesus. And so they come to him, but they don't fully understand him, it seems to me. Have a look at verse 10. For Jesus had healed so many that those with diseases were pushing Forward to touch him you can well understand that kind of urgency can't you on the part of the very sick but remember what Jesus has said himself about his mission he said very clearly his mission is not so much to heal as to preach that's chapter 1 verse 38 Uh, because access to this kingdom comes through hearing and repenting and believing because our biggest need however sick we are is still for the forgiveness of sins Remember, we learned that very much in the story of the paralyzed man. If the crowds are a bit confused, there are some people who seem to see Jesus with absolute clarity. Verse 11. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now be sure, they they fall before him in terror and not in worship. Worship. You should notice here as well, Jesus' great authority over evil. So the spirits cannot help but cry out in fear, and then he commands them to instant silence. Jesus' command over evil is absolute. Hold on to that thought, it will be important in a minute. Now, I was only 13 at the time, but I distinctly remember the general election campaign of 1997 when uh, Tony Blair swept to power. You can probably still picture the scenes. Uh, I remember the old guard, prominent Tories like Portillo and Lamont shirking off into the background having lost their seats and Blair struggling through crowds of Union Jack waving fans shaking every hand as the crowd pressed in and there was a hope and vision and expectation and optimism and newness in the air. This was new labour after all. We might well see those events through different lenses now. Uh, but Jesus promises a new hope that endures. And we see here this is not just a hope for these people, not just a hope for Israel, but it's a hope that extends could it be for us too? So God is doing this wonderful new thing and so where do we do where do we go next? Geographically, well away from the lake, did you see, and up on a mountainside. That's verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. There's the second point: at Jesus to the nations. Jesus to the nations. If you were here last week, you, you met my friend Ben, who had the disaster with the makeup. You need to listen online if that doesn't make any sense to you. Uh, but things have been going a bit better for him recently. He, he's recently got engaged. And uh, being the outdoorsy type, he took Sophie up on a mountain to propose. And fortunately, she said yes, otherwise, I guess the walk down would have been a bit awkward. Um, It's all very biblical, though, you see, because in the Bible, so often, significant things seem to happen up on a mountain. So, for example, when God gave the law uh, to the 12 tribes of Israel through their leader Moses, he did it up on a mountain. And so here, verse 14, up on the mountain, he appointed 12, designating them apostles. And when you know the Old Testament a little bit, you can't fail to miss what's happening here. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and now there are 12 apostles. Very clearly, Jesus is saying, I am appointing, calling, drawing, creating this new thing, this new People of God. And here are, if you like, the foundational members of this new people. And when you think about it, that's quite a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees, too. I mean, surely when this Messiah arrived, the the, the spiritual leaders of the day ought to have been the ones who well, for a start, recognized him. You would have thought the Messiah could rely upon these leaders. You you would have thought they'd been at the center of his plans. They would have been Jesus' helpers and and co-leaders. After all, they're the ones who apparently had diligently searched the scriptures for decades and generations to wait for his arrival. But when he gets here, in their stubborn religiosity, as we saw last week, that they've tragically rejected him. And so now what does Jesus do? Well, he rejects them. And up a mountain he goes and he appoints some different leaders some new new leaders some replacement leaders if you like as an aside i think we should learn that this means if you constantly reject jesus in the end he will reject you and that's a frightening thought isn't it but notice too that the, the 12 apostles are given two things to do halfway through verse 14 that they might be with him, it's the first one, and that he might send them out. They are to be with him, with Jesus, and to be sent out by Jesus. There are probably all kinds of summaries you could give about what it means to be a disciple. Um, and this is quite a simple one, isn't it? I'm afraid you've got me this morning, so we're doing simple. But it's not a bad summary of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You are someone, if you follow him, who has, who has come to him, you've received from him, and then you have been sent out by him on his mission. And what is his mission? It is, as he has, himself has said, it is preaching, speaking, communicating this message, repent, believe, the kingdom is near. So you come to him and you're sent out by him. What is it that you have received as you've come to him? Well, most of all, of course, it is the forgiveness of your sins. It is citizenship of this wonderful kingdom. Jesus came to give his life, Mark 10:45, as a ransom for many. But when you come to him, you also learn from him, as you come, as it were, to Jesus, through His word in the Bible. One of the biggest reasons I'm a Christian is that I I consistently find that this book knows me better than I know myself. So we come to Jesus and we learn from him. We learn of ourselves. We learn to see his world in a right perspective. We learn what he is doing in his world and we are sent out on that mission to tell other people. It's not a bad summary of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So if that's you, if you're following Jesus, how is it going with those two things? Are you coming to Jesus through his word in the Bible to learn? Are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible daily? And do you pray? Do you speak with him? And not just in a crisis, but daily, dependently. And do you come to church Uh, like this, uh, hungry to, to listen and to learn? Or has it become more an exercise in sermon delivery critique? Now do you go to your small group thinking, Lord, here's my life. Take it, shape it, teach it, inform it. On the other side of things, how is it going on Jesus' mission to share the gospel? When was the last time you mentioned the name of Jesus to someone who is not a Christian? Is your diary so jam-packed full of church activity and and, and of good things like coming to learn from Jesus that, that there's nothing left and there's nothing scheduled when it comes to deliberately making time and space to share the gospel with those who don't know it? And I stand as rebuked as anyone on that last point. Back in the text, the observant among you will have noticed that, that the 12 were sent out not just to preach, uh, but to cast out demons. And you might wonder why those two things are mentioned together. Maybe it seems a bit odd to you. Well, flip back to chapter 1, verse 38, just back a page. Here's what Jesus has said on this subject. This is one of his great sort of statements of, of purpose and mission in the Gospel of Mark. He says, let us go somewhere else to the near my villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And you want to say, well, so which is it, Jesus? Do you know, is it preaching or is it driving out demons? What are you here to do? He says he's here to preach and he goes off and does that and drives out demons as well. Why are these things mentioned together? What's the relationship There is a strong intrinsic connection between the two. There is a strong uh, intrinsic connection between preaching the kingdom, that is saying repent, believe, become part of the kingdom, and driving out evil. Why? Well, as people repent and believe, and as they become citizens of this kingdom, the kingdom, as it were, takes new ground. And that doesn't happen in some kind of vacuum. You know, we all know it happens in a world that is gripped by evil. If you doubt that, you need to spend more time on the BBC News website. And so as the kingdom takes new ground, people are taken back from the grip of evil. In other words, Jesus saves people from under the shadow of death and evil and brings them into new life. As the gospel is preached and believed and taken to heart, it is, as it were, that that evil is driven back that the kingdom takes new ground. That's why those two things go so much hand in hand. As a little aside, it seems to me there's an important implication for us today. What should we do to combat evil in the world? And yet we look around and we feel moved to do something, don't we? Now, Christians can and, can I say, should be involved in all kinds of efforts in that direction. Fighting corruption, feeding the hungry, seeking justice. But don't miss the implication of what Jesus says. That is that the biggest and best way to fight evil in the world is to communicate the message of the gospel. And if that feels unsatisfying to you, let me give you two reasons why that's the case. Firstly, the greatest kindness we can do, people, is to direct them into God's coming eternal kingdom, which is a place of true and lasting goodness, justice, and righteousness. Remember the paralyzed man? Jesus didn't just just heal his legs and give him another 10, 20 30 years of, of abundant, able bodied life here, important as that was. Jesus thought his greatest need was to have his sins forgiven. And there can be no doubt that Jesus is spot on about that, since the forgiveness of this man's sins was his passport into eternal, abundant life. There's a respected author and pastor who puts it this way The church exists to alleviate suffering, most especially. Eternal suffering. The greatest good you can do someone is to bring them to Jesus. But you say, Well, what about now then? What about combating evil in the world now? Well, secondly, if you want to do that now uh, in this world, you need to remember what Jesus says about where evil comes from. He says it wells up from inside man's hearts. That's Mark seven: twenty-one. What is the only cure for a heart sick with sin? you've seen again very clearly in Mark it is the gospel uh, the, research, the research apparently shows that, that, that where historically the gospel has abounded um, so justice and fairness in society tends to follow And though the secular leaders of our day in our country would rather forget it, it is the prevalence of Christian faith in generations gone by that is one of the key reasons we enjoy what is, by global standards, a remarkably free and just and equitable society here. So the Messiah has arrived. In him, this new kingdom is coming. It's near. The nations are beginning to flock to him. And through his followers, the message of Jesus' kingdom is going to go out to the nations. It's a big picture. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is what you are in on. He's drawn you to himself to receive forgiveness. He's sending you out on his mission. So if you haven't yet come to him, then do. If you haven't yet come to him for forgiveness of your sin, then do. Do it today. Come to him. And learn from him. And shape your life around his mission to the nations. And just as we close though, it, that all feels a bit too much, too big, you know, too challenging. As if That sort of thing couldn't be for little old me. Take a look lastly at this list of names. I think you'll find it very encouraging. Verse 16. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. That's the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is a list of the uneducated. There's a whole bunch of illiterate fishermen on here. The uncivilized. That's the sons of thunder with their fiery tempers. The uncompromising. Simon the Zealot is probably a violent political radical. Uh, The unrighteous. I'm fairly convinced, for reasons I haven't got time to go into now, that, that the disciple called Matthew is actually Levi, the tax collector. If that's true, it is remarkable. Remember when we met Levi a couple of weeks ago? The lowest of the low. The pedophile of his day. This is a list of the unknown it is interesting that we know almost nothing about the name, most of the names in the second half of this list. No great deeds or teaching are recorded out of theirs, and virtually nothing is said of them in the rest of Mark's gospel. This is a list with, which ends with Judas the betrayer, and begins with Peter, who turns out to be a, the, the denier. What an uncivilized lot. And yet we sit here in this building today. 2,000 years later, 2,500 miles away from the events of Mark's gospel. And the message of the kingdom has reached us. And that is in large part because of the new thing that Jesus began to do through these uncivilized people. (laughs) Through this bunch of misfits whom Jesus called to himself whom Jesus sent out on his mission. So maybe it is for you after all. Let's pray. Uh, It is astounding to us, Father God, that you would um, have mercy on people like us. Uh, You would draw people like us into your extraordinary kingdom that you'd call us to yourself to receive forgiveness to learn from you that you'd even send people like us out on your mission thank you God for your extraordinary power and the way that the gospel has gone out and is going out to the nations we pray for your help to follow Jesus And to be part of it. Amen.